HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to 12.45. Join as usual in the studio with Nastasha the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. That pizza's called the Slammer. Really? Mm-hmm. The Hammer and the Slammer? <laughs> yeah. So what's what's on this pizza from Roberta? By the way, we uh, today we have to go shoot at uh, Food & Wine. Maybe we'll talk about it later. And so we have to take our lunch during our commercial breaks today. Boo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> so what's on this pizza, the Slammer? I, it's collard greens and prosciutto, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Joe, what do we got on this pizza here? I don't think he knows. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a restaurant. I'm not actually working in the restaurant. I just bring the pizza. But. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's my fault. I should have read it more closely. All I saw was you know greens on top. See, at Roberta's, they had these pizzas with greens on them, and Stas and I love the pizzas with greens on them. And then whenever we want one, they're like, nah, not today. Yeah. No yeah. greens today. I love greens on pizza, by the way. I like them when they're when they're uh, cooked down, as these appear to be, and I like them when they're Fresh, not cooked yeah. down. Yeah, I like them. I like them both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good product. Greens on a pizza. Uh, didn't mean to put you on the spot there, uh, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. <laughs> a little red in the face now, but oh, you know. uh, uh, as no, you said, you don't job. work at the it's restaurant. Not it's not your job yeah, to not know. I just job. thought maybe you would had it and you would you know you know no. taken note of. I'm going to start up my own pizza blog for all the cooking issues listeners about all the Roberto's pizzas. Maybe someday. So, oh, oh, I just stuck the headphone cord in the pizza. It's such a party foul. Uh, so while we're on the topic here, Nastasha, oh. you said to bring right, it up. Okay, all right, we can do it. Yeah, so uh, Nastasha, Nastasha and I have a uh, uh, an ongoing kind of feud battle. Accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. I, one I, of many. Well, well, one of many, but one we're willing to share. And so, uh, you know, uh, some of you may know I have uh, two kids and a wife, right? And uh, so, you know, I've kind of been through this whole scenario in New York, by the way. And not so easy being uh, a mom in New York if you want to, like, go outside. You know, it's you can't, like, lock yourself away in your uh, in your tiny apartment all day. You go freaking bananas. And so I am not in the least bothered by uh, any sort of public display of feeding your babies if you get my drift breastfeeding 
Yes, breastfeeding the babies. Mm-hmm. And Stas here uh, is uh, is bothered by it. You want to talk about that? Well, it's just that Roberta's especially is a, a breeding ground for these women who take their entire breast out and don't cover it up. But just don't look at it. I, just don't look. I, it's so I, easy. It's not woman, to look at people. Like, why don't you just cover it with like a nice? What, they they make stuff like that. You could get a nice scarf to put over. <laughs> like, you know, like why do you need to show it? I just don't think that there's not that it's not about you. You see, so you're you're looking at but it like it's it about you. No, if you're eating in a restaurant and a woman has her breast out, it's it's always at Roberta's. It's you have pizza in front of you. You have cheeses. You have you know what the heck does the pizza and the cheese have to do with it? Dick stuff. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and then there's the lady Ew. next to you with her breast out. Uh, Joe, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, one? Joe, what do you think? Um, I see it from I see it from both ways. Mm-hmm. I my thought is that yeah, you can just avert your eyes, but as soon as you started going about. The cheese, I don't know. That was a little much for well, me. Well, that's just because she's got a demented mind. Like, she no. makes connections that don't exist. No. I, point want, is, I, want, I want writers or callers or listeners or whatever to, to weigh in on it. Hey, you know what I want? What? I, want uh, I want mothers to be able to go out and I eat whenever they, they want. I think that they should do it. When, you know, obviously, they have to do it when their baby's hungry. But, co- like, yeah, cover com- it up in a you know, public place. That is painful. If you do not feed when... I under, I'm not telling them not to. I'm saying cover I'm, it up. Cover well, it up. All right, whatever. I, you know, I just... I just don't, I don't see why. It's Would like, you like to, let's say that a man had to do it with a different appendage. That is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, wow. That is a crazy, crazy, crazy statement. Whoa. <laughs> I cannot believe. Whoa. I cannot believe that you have said this on the air. Now, I want you people out there. This is a little taste <laughs> yeah. of what it's like. Well, a little bit of a taste. It. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. Nobody had to say that. <laughs> nobody had to say that. Call in. Call in your responses to Nastasha or any other questions, cooking or otherwise, to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Longtime listener and supporter of MoFad, by the way, uh, Lucas wrote in uh, and uh, says that um, a longtime listener of the show, you know, he was a uh, – he's now a finance guy, but he used to be involved in super low-temperature physics. Cool. Which is kind of interesting. I think he was saying he was uh, dealing with uh, – what do they call like um, – Einstein, what is it, uh, kind of condensates. Super, super hyper low temperature uh, physics. Anyways, so uh, he has a deal for us. He says he shot a doe yesterday, you know, the doe a deer, female deer. Uh, he shot a doe yesterday. He was hunting with a friend. He has half the meat, and he would be happy to donate some of this in the name of the progress of science in terms of us cooking uh, uh, game meats low temperature. And I hope it's, you know, at some point I, I hope to go hunting too. But yes, please. Uh, please send us some. He says, unfortunately, the conditions of the deal uh, with his friend were that all the awful from the first deer goes to his dogs, which is so weird. Your dog doesn't give a crap. Oh, my dog really only likes the deer that I hunt. My dog will eat any damn thing. You know what he likes the best now? Dehydrates. What? Jackets. Oh, <laughs> again, again with the nudging. Uh, dehydrated uh, lamb lung is seems his current favorite thing. He can't go, can't get enough dehydrated and bread. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, the conditions of, of the deal are that all the awful from the first deer goes to his dogs. But I have all the other cuts now because I'm stupid. I butchered this myself, and since this is my first deer, it looks a, a little better than the first sushi I made. Uh, but you know, it's kind of beat up. But certainly edible. Let me know if uh, you guys are interested. Regards, Lucas. Yes, we are interested. Wouldn't you like that? Yeah. You like you, you like deer, right? I don't think I've ever had it. Come on, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll cook the hell out of that, Lucas. Send that stuff. We'll co- <laughs> what is it, is it frozen? <laughs> yeah, like we're pretty much like in a K hole right now. Like uh, at home, you know. Well, we'll get into this later. But like, you know, I haven't been able to test any recipes. Um, 
um, you know, uh, Chris Kohler sent us the uh, the tofu book by uh, Thank by you. Nguyen. Thanks Thank you. so much. We're uh, super excited. I was reading through it, and then I realized, hey, you know what? I want to make tofu right now, but guess what? I have no kitchen. I literally, moving. I'm moving. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, not permanently, but like. Uh, because my wife heard my rant about fryers last week. No, I'm kidding. She doesn't listen to the show. Uh, but the uh, more on that later. But the no, what happened was uh, we're moving across the street, and the people who are buying my new apartment they don't want my, you know, commercial fryer, my commercial hood, and my commercial range, and all that stuff. So I had to rip it out of the wall. The people. That- well, I don't want to call out who it is. You know, yeah, they're they are relatives of mine. That's not the point. They don't want the, They don't want it. And so, uh, so I had to rip it out with my bare hands. So now I'm I'm back down to dorm room skills. I got a uh, a toaster oven, but I also have a sear saw. Oh yeah. So can I sear only something? No. Can I can I sear most things? Mm. What can I sear? Everything. Oh, oh. Stas, Stas, you gotta gotta get into the. I know it's. You gotta it's get into like you know what like Christmas spirit. <laughs> she's already in the freaking Christmas I am spirit. The Christmas it's spirit. not even Thanksgiving Black spirit, and she's is. cracking out the Michael Bublé like it's like the end of the world is coming you, with the Bublés. Bubbles. Now yeah okay whatever I encourage it because whatever but like I'm saying like you know like we're doing something know, exciting and you Everybody came here like whatever whatever whatever. No. Whatever. Again, now people, now you know. Now you know. Now, now you know. Okay. John Stewart wrote in uh, two cooking issues uh, about a serious eats, uh, and I couldn't figure out when the serious eats uh, post was, but it was a it was a Kenji Alt uh, post, uh, and he says, um, "Question one. This is a, what it is. Is this? I forget what they call it. They called it something. What they call it? Like a Turk nut? What they call it? Like oh. a Turk." Yeah, uh, turkcheta or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a rolled turkey. It's basically a rolled turkey, turkey breast rolled with the skin. Uh, I can't. I, I didn't see the original recipe to see whether he had meat glued it or not. But you know, I've I've been cooking rolled up poultry for since you know since I was a wee baby. Actually, you know what? Like even before I had meat glue, Jacques Pepin back in the day used to do uh, ballotines of uh, chicken that were stuffed with kind of like a a, a dried fruit stuffing and i used to make those things constantly like in my 20s like that was my go-to i used to love making that this is slightly different i think this meat glued but nils you know nils norin formerly the fci good you know good friend of mine uh he back when he was at akavit would turn any meat into a tube any any meat you hand him a meat he turned it into a tube he would take you know lobsters turn them into tubes salmon tubes chicken tube turducken tube beef (laughs) tube and and so like and the reason is that nils like the tube so much is that it cooks very evenly across it and so you know nils had a very good uh meat gluing and rolling technique and it was actually his formation of tubes that caused him to be kind of like oh, like like one of the top two they went back and forth wiley and nils on who was using the most meat glue in new york city way back in the day anywho so you know after i started cooking with nils a lot i too i too took up the 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 tubes of meat uh, as a as a thing, and so we used to turn you know just tubes constantly. Anywho, so uh, that's what we're talking about. So Kenji does a spiced on the inside, rolled up turkey breast with the skin around it that you low temp cook and then deep fry, which is kind of a classical low temp classic. Well, it's it's the low temp way to cook uh, a bird like that in the, in a simple fashion, as opposed to the skeletonized turkey nonsense that we do every once in a while. I don't I can't I, I can't do that this year. I don't have a kitchen. Crazy. Yeah. Sucks. We can't do that at the lab. We're not really set up for that at the lab. 
No. No. So I was like, please don't do it at the lab. The last time, I think I told, I told this story of it. The last time I, I did a major poultry project at the lab. Actually, we did one yesterday. Yeah. But the time before that, I blew up a pressure cooker and sprayed. Uh, Not the way you think. No, yeah. no, no. I, well, I exploded the safety valve, and it's, it's, it, it was old faithful of chicken grease everywhere. I can picture that. As, I can smell it and picture it right now. Anyway, uh, so the questions. The recipe calls, this is Kenji's recipe, calls for 60 degrees Celsius uh, for four to five hours and then deep fry. For most tender cuts like chicken breasts and tenderloins, I think you, you meaning me, recommend keeping the time shorter to prevent mushing. It's thoughts on this, and what would you use for the time temperature on a turkey breast? I'll just go through all the questions first, and I'll answer them, uh, you know, in whatever order my tangents allow me to. Uh, question two: The recipe calls for slashing the inside of the meat, rubbing with spices, then rolling it and binding it with twine. Would this be a good application for meat glue transglutaminase to bind it together better? If so, how would you otherwise change the technique? Still rubbing, still rubbing the spices, <laughs> then dust with TG and roll, or would the spices interfere and/or just be weird embedded in the meat? And question three: If using transglutaminase, which one would you use? I see RM, GSTI, and YG. G, oh my, I like that. It's a good rhyme there. Uh, available uh, from John Stewart. Okay, so uh, or is he? Did he call himself the other John Stewart yeah. once? <clears throat> the other John. Well, you know, since I don't know, again, like I said, since I don't know the the John Stewart that you're referencing, is that, well, whatever, whatever. You're our John Stewart, John. Anyway, uh, yeah, I would use uh, meat glue on this. I mean, obviously, you don't have to use meat glue, um, but then if you don't use meat glue, you don't have to tie it. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there you go. Uh, and then you can just roll it in. Uh, make sure you get a, you know, a, a, a polyethylene-only plastic wrap if you're going to use uh, – if you're going to make the uh, rolls with plastic wrap. And they're still on the Cooking Issues blog in the low-temperature section. There's a whole whole pictorial blah, blah, who's it on how to roll uh, – I think I do – a chicken there and also a salmon show how to roll it um make sure that you use a non-pvc one uh, and smell the poly- smell your plastic wrap to make sure it doesn't smell all stanky and nasty but the technique is all there and it's you know fairly simple to do uh i would put the uh meat glue i don't think it really matters as long as you're not coating it with so much spices that the meat can't touch meat i don't think it's going to really matter uh you can use rm uh, RM is what I usually use. It's a powder, and you sprinkle it on uh, because, I don't know, Nils would always say he hated the ones that were made into paste because he didn't want to add a lot of water to the inside. But if you have a lot of spices, uh, you can use the uh, GS, which is a slurry, and you paint it on, and you could paint it on, but don't paint too much. I mean, that's the problem. You don't want to add a lot of moisture. In there. And then sprinkle the spices into the, uh, into the slurry and then roll it up, and you'll be, you'll be good to go. Uh, and with something like this, you could actually uh, – you wouldn't even actually have to wait for it to set. Normally, you would wait for something to set, but as long as you're not cooking too high, four hours or so or overnight, as long as you're uh, cooking down here in the 60 degrees Celsius range, you could very easily uh, just heat set it, put it in the bath, and as it cooks through, it will set. It won't be as strong as it would be if you let it set in the fridge overnight, but it'll be strong enough for the application that you have here, and then you won't have any twine marks around it, right? So that takes care of questions two and three, right? Now, as to question one, all right, look, I'm sure Kenji has access to all the same programs and databases that, you know, that I have. Uh, and so his four to five cooking, uh, four to five hour cooking time at 60 degrees is probably based on what looked to be a roughly four inch uh, diameter cylinder, right? Uh, and so the, the issue is, is that he's trying to get up to the actual temperature, 60 in the center, uh, of a four-inch diameter tube, and that does take uh, four to five hours. However, 
right? If you look at his recipe, so I'll say I'll give you the, the recipe here for those of you that are interested. You can just look it up. I mean, you know, serious eats, it's right there. But uh, preheat sous vide water bath to 140 Fahrenheit. That's 60 for you folks who cook in Celsius land. Uh, add a turkey and cook for four to five hours. Remove and run under cool uh, running water or transfer to an ice bath to chill for five minutes. That's, again, old standard technique we used to do to not overcook the, the meats. Uh, remove from a bag and, and add any congealed juices to the gravy. Rinse carefully and thoroughly pat dry with paper towels. Trim ends for a more cylindrical shape uh, if desired, although I would trim after you fry, after you fry, unless there's a lot of skin on the outside. Heat oil to 400 degrees. Uh, it's hot. In a large wok or Dutch oven, do not fill more than one-third of the way in order to allow for bubbling and displacement. He's overheating the oil here because he's going to get a large temperature drop as he puts it in. Um, carefully slide the turkey into the oil using spatula and tongs. It will not be fully submerged. Cover and cook. Uh, shaking the pan occasionally until the sputtering dies a bit. I would just ladle over the top or roll it in the thing instead of having to, like, uh, I mean, I don't know, whatever. But that, this is just, these are just semantics, you know, choice of cook. Anyway, uh, about two minutes. Adjust the flame to a consistent 350, and then using a large metal ladle, spoon the hot oil. There you go. Over the exposed portions of the roast continuously until the bottom half is cooked and crisp. About five minutes. Carefully flip and cook on the second side, basting the whole time. So I guess he's covering it to get the temperature of the oil up faster by not having as much steam escape. That must be what he's doing here. Um, but you're looking at a total cook time of seven minutes at 350 degrees. And that is going to push the internal temperature of that. It's going to make a nice crispy skin, but it's going to push the interior temperature of the bird uh, up considerably, which is why he's only cooking to 140 degrees. Now, 140 degrees is too dang – I looked at the pictures. It's cooked properly. But 140 degrees, 60 degrees Celsius is too dang low for 99% of the people who are going to eat turkey breast. It's still going to have some of that weird translucent-y kind of hue to it. And you wouldn't want to eat that, would you, Stiles? No. No. Like the, the minimum you want to cook a turkey breast to in the real world, in real life, is about 63 degrees or even some people prefer 64. Uh, dark meats, you're looking at like 65 is the lowest, really, 66. Some people prefer. If you do low-temperature cooking and you're careful and you've brined it, you can cook the white meat up that high, but, you know, whatever. These are the general numbers of what you want to cook turkey to. Now, in my opinion, uh, turkey meat that is cooked for longer than about two hours low temperature, uh, it's not that it goes bad. It's that it gets what I th- – it, it, the texture is not as good if, if you taste it side by side with meat that was cooked to the same temperature at a shorter period of time. When you bite into it, it has a little bit of stringiness, mushiness. It releases its water in, in a way that uh, uh, I don't find as pleasant as I find ones that haven't been cooked for as long. Now, some people like that texture because we've done a bunch of side-by-side uh, taste tests back when I was you know, teaching low-temperature cooking back at the FCI. But it's just not <clears> – <throat> It's just not uh, what, what I like. What I would do, and, and if you were to get one of these things like sous vide dash uh, or uh, you know, polysciences sous vide uh, dashboard, whatever it's called now, one of these programs that allows you to check it, if you were to just increase the temperature of the cooking water by a mere three degrees, you would chop the time down to uh, around under three hours. If you were to then reduce the cylinder size from four inches to three inches, you'd chop it down to like two and, two and a fraction. Uh, hours to get it cooked up to the temperature in the center, right? And that, it seems to me, is uh, a good way to do it. What I would do is do that and then ramp down the cooking temperature aggressively uh, or put it in ice water a little bit longer so that you're not going to get an overcook when you put it in, into the fryer because it's going to be easier to drop that temperature a couple of degrees uh, than it is to raise it without overcooking. Does that make sense uh-huh. to us? Because 
Anyway, so that's what I would do. I would cook it to a higher temperature and then drop it harder uh, and, then, and then fry it without overcooking it. And I think that's going to be uh, better, it's, especially you want to make it for a quick crust development. So I wouldn't actually cool it in the bag or in the um, – I mean I, I wouldn't cool it in ice water in the bag. What I would do is cool it down to – I would drop the temperature aggressively to like 50 or 52, pull it out hot and let the steam flash off of the uh, – the, the moisture flash off of the uh, – the bird, maybe even hit it with a with a fan or a hair dryer to put a pellicle on the outside. Do not use a used hair dryer on uh, on food, by the way, because you'll notice that it throws little pieces of burnt hair. What happens when people are blow drying their hair is uh, hair particles get sucked into the intake, and then uh, some of them make it in, and then they get kind of slightly incinerated. And then when you when you fire it again, occasionally it will fire out these little bits of half burnt hair particle crap. That's how women get split ends. What? Over blow drying the hair. I hate blow dryers. Uh, in terms of, I like, I, like they should just call them like you know, kind of food food dryers. They're awesome at that, like French fries and everything. But like people try to put a blow dryer on my head, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? My hair will dry. My hair will dry. Like I'm not going to get a cold going outside. Like do not blow dry my hair. Yep. Do you use a blow dryer? Nope. That's one of the reasons I like you stuff. <laughs> no offense to all you blow dry people out there. They smell bad. They smell like burnt hair. Yeah. I guess for that reason. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you're with me, right? Blow dryer. No good, right? No way. No, good Good on food, though. They're good, good. for that. Good to know. But don't use a used one. Anyway, so uh, that's what I, I had something else to add to this, but I forget what it is. Eh, who knows? Uh, I'll think of it. I'll think break. of it at some point. You want to go to a break? Yeah. All right. We'll go to a commercial break. Come right back with Cooking Issues. <laughs> Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Questions two seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. You want to know one of the reasons why I'm a bad person? Why? Everyone else loves it. I hate Napa. I hate it. Napa Napa Valley. Oh, so do I. Yeah. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, look, I like the people. I like the wineries. I like wine. But just that beating freaking sun. You know what I mean? What do you hate about it? You, I just don't like. It. I don't like it. Styles went to school like at Stanford, so yeah. you know, so she's probably exposed to it more than I am. Yeah, I don't like. They're they're really like clean, clean vineyards. You know, like very lines. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I yeah. like the wine though. I like mm. the wine. Mm. I don't know. It's also like so expensive over there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, who the hell are we talking? 
We live in New York. Please. Anyway, now I'm going to get someone to be like, if you hate Napa, I hate you. Well, no. You know, what are you going to do? You've got to be honest sometimes. Time. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be honest sometimes. At Clefs wrote in uh, on uh, the Twitter, said, uh, Cooking issues, any advice or techniques for roasting raw peanuts uh, to then be milled into peanut butter uh, and uh, what temperature and stuff? Well, okay. So the thing about peanuts, the thing about peanuts, this is another one of those one of those uh, these nuts questions. <laughs> I love like anytime. Like I wish every week we would have some sort of like nut related uh, question, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nuts, these nuts. Okay. Uh, and you know what? Like that's probably the best one of the best songs. That's not. Like, there's so many good songs on that album. But Stas, you're not a big fan of that whole genre. No. Even no. though you're from that area. Yeah. Is that why you don't like it? No, I just don't like it. Just don't like it. Not my kind of music. None, none of those. None Mm-mm. of no Dre, no Snoop, Mm-mm. no nothing. Mm-mm. You're not, but you're also not an East Coast rap person either. I don't like rap. Wow. Yep. Wow. I don't know how the heck we hang out. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the issue with uh, making peanut butter is you're going to want a fairly high oil um, nut, right? So that leaves out the absolute uh, royalty of peanuts, God's peanut, which is the Virginia peanut, which is a variety. And I've said this before on the show. If you have not gone out and purchased high-quality, roasted, salted – please get the salted. Please, for God's sakes, get the salted. Salted. Don't get any flavors on it, though. These guys who make these Virginia peanuts, a lot of them, they make all these ones with flavors because they think that you need to flavor it. But Virginia peanut, the texture of a Virginia peanut and the size and the way it explodes in your mouth when you bite it does not require any sort of crazy flavoring. It requires simply salt and your mouth to eat and a fist to shovel them into your face because that's what you're going to want to do with them. But Virginia peanut, uh, even though it is the best possible peanut that I've ever had, like by far, like so far and away above any other uh, – it's a variety. They can be grown elsewhere other than uh, Virginia, but they're just called Virginia peanuts and you know that's where I get where I get most of them. I don't know where most of them are grown, but it, it just – I mean, blows, blows the rest. They cost more, and they're worth it. You're gonna. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go on the. I hope you're gonna go on the internets. I feel like you've talked about. I it. have, but like, but some people they don't know. They don't know. Go on the internets. You're gonna look at it, and you're gonna say, "Why the hell does this peanut cost so much?" And then you're gonna get it, and you're gonna say, "This." Oh, that's gonna be it, right? That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So anyway, so don't get those for uh, peanut butter because that's a waste anyway of the amazing texture. And the Virginia uh, peanut, I think, doesn't have as kind of a high oil um, content. Uh, if you're going to want uh, something higher, like a Spanish peanut or something like that in oil, uh, I would recommend roasting. You, if you're going to make peanut butter, you can put the salt in later, so it's not a, not a problem. Um, but everyone seems to say to roast it at 350 Fahrenheit, which, oh, man, I should have converted that to Celsius because uh, at Clef's is in uh, Japan, I think. Anyway, uh, should, for like 15 or 20 minutes, um, as opposed to in the shell, the, you know, the peanut board and all that recommends going for 30 to 35 minutes at that same temperature, 350. However, they don't tell you the real secret of roasting a peanut in shell. This doesn't apply at Clef's for peanut butter. Oh, and by the way, if you have a, a, a peanut that doesn't have as much oil, it's a simple matter when you're grinding uh, nut butters to add a little bit of oil to it. And we used to do it all the time when we were doing – for instance, we would get um, uh, California almonds. No offense because I've had some good ones. Wyeth you know, uh, from labor, his, his uh, grandpa's an, an almond farmer and he got some really good, good nuts, good nuts. But the thing is that majority of the California almonds that you get are some variety that has a very low oil content because I guess they think that's what Americans want. Like as opposed to Marconas where you can see the freaking like oil on them. So delicious. But they, so the, those nuts that, the, uh, you know, the average. Which nuts? 
those nuts, those, uh, the average California uh, almond there uh, is almost worthless to make uh, butters out of because it has so lo- low oil unless you add back a lot. Even pecans, which are fairly high oil, we would have to add some oil. Remember that? When we were making all that stuff, mm-hmm. we'd have to add some back to it. We would save a little bit of the last batch and make it kind of like a, trying to get a perpetual motion nut machine out of it. And we used to pre-grind it and then put it in a santha to get a really – which is, you know, a melanger kind of – or, you know, or Italy, Italy uh, you know, like a doll Italy thing. Anyway, from, uh, from uh, uh, India. And uh, we used to get really good, really, really good textured nut butters. And then we would spin them in the centrifuge and get even better, awesome textured uh, nut butters. Uh, we used to roast them all uh, beforehand. But anyway, so – but none of that uh, is going to help you if you want to put so- – like do you like eating peanuts in the shell? I don't like nuts so much. I don't like peanuts. Oh, my freaking <laughs> God. What about you guys in the engineering booth over there? Are you a fan of the uh, shell, the in-shell peanut? Oh, definitely. Yeah, baseball style, you know, yeah. out there shelling in the, the freaking nutshells are everywhere. I like anything where you're supposed to make a mess and there's chaff everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you I don't like when people eat the peanuts on the subway like that. Though. No, no, they should be shot in the face. Yeah, right. I, I don't mean there's a lot of violent things. I shouldn't say that. That's a, a turn of phrase I use not on the air typically. But what I mean is, is they're bad people. They're not ba- bad. They're, rude. They're, they're rude. They're not thoughtful people. I take that back. What I said that's not right. Anyway, but my point is, is that you should not. I don't like people eating any freaking thing on the subway at all. No, I don't want to see people. I mean, look, if you need to take a sip of water, no problem. But I don't want like. I don't know. I don't what want about a baby that needs to breastfeed. <laughs> oh, you know what, Stas? You're such a freak. See what I'm saying, people? Anyways, my point is, I don't like. I don't like to. I don't like. You know what? I really hate. I hate the. I hate like the like the takeout food container open in the subway and the entire subway smells the lady like was takeout. Eating egg rolls next to me yesterday. On yeah, subway. so gross. Yeah, it's always like the high like vinegar sauces and stuff. You can smell the fried goods. You can smell all over the thing or like. Subway sandwiches, I see that a lot. They're freaking messy. They're messy, people. Anyways, uh, just don't do it. Right, Joe? Just don't do it. No way. How do we even go? Oh, just yeah. Just wait. Wait five minutes. Yeah, wait. But when you're, when you're outside or you're sitting at a picnic bench outside, like like the, the, the peanuts in the shell. Anyway, the worst, though, is when someone hands you one and they're not salted. Don't you hate that? I hate that. Yeah. I want salt on those suckers. Yeah, so definitely. Here, so here's how you do it. If you want to salt the nuts uh, before you roast them, uh, the simple kind of boneheaded way without technology is to just soak it in a salt brine for uh, a long time. And then you know rinse them off a little bit and roast them. Right, that'll work. But oh, sorry, dehydrate first uh, below roasting temperature because if you don't get the moisture back out before you roast it, uh, you're not going to be able to get all the moisture out before it gets too brown. Right, so you need to take them back down to a normal kind of ambient moisture content at a low non-roasting temperature, either in a dehydrator. Or on a super low oven with the with the lid uh, lid with the door open with a with a towel. You know how you do if you don't have a dehydrator and let them really dry out before you roast it proper at like three fifty. But the baller, really biddy biddly biddly baller way to do it is to throw the peanuts and a brine and whatever other flavors you want into your vacuum machine and do rapid infusion into the peanuts and you can infuse them. Almost instantly, so you don't have to wait for the stuff to soak through like you would with a normal brine. That we have to wait hours for the for the brine to make it through. So then you could do you can make your brine, uh, suck a huge vacuum, uh, let the air back in, boosh, the brine will be pushed into the peanut, dehydrate, uh, you know, in a low oven until you break one open and feel it, make sure it's dehydrated, and then roast it off, and you're good. Uh, oh, we have a caller. Caller, you're on the air, Mr. Dave Arnold. Howdy. Here, my bullfrog. How are you, sir? Hey, hey. 
Doing well. How's uh, how's it down in Miami land? Uh, it's a balmy 81 degrees. Mm, nice, nice. What's up? Uh, I just called the chat. Nice. When can I get my hands on one of those Sears all, sir? Well, so we're still making them by hand in the basement uh, of uh, the lab at 54 Eldritch. So right now... Teeny, teeny little elves with, with glasses and tweezers are assembling them as we speak. Uh, I like to think of Piper as an elf with glasses and tweezers, <laughs> but yeah, so literally that's what we're that's what we're doing. So right now we're we right now we we only have a couple we only have a couple that we're using for shooting because we, we're doing the we're finishing the Kickstarter shoot on Thursday and it's going to go up on uh, on Black Friday Black Friday. But uh, Monsieur Bullfrog, you are definitely on the list. You are on. So the what list. you're what you're saying is I have to send Santa Claus a letter and proclaim my love for for all things that heat stuff up very hot yes 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 it's true uh and, you know and also like the, well here's a, g- a good question so um technically in a food truck you're allowed to have the the uh, handheld propane tanks technically is are you asking me or are you telling me because i sure as hell don't know i was asking <laughs> yeah i was asking uh I, you know i don't know but the um yeah so we're what, when are we looking at delivery on this thing april we're going to try to get April. Yeah, so we're the Kickstarter will be over right around the Christmas time, and then we're looking for hopefully and really that soon, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow, we're going to be busy. Uh, but the ones that we make now, you know, the proto ones are literally they're all welded by hand in the basement, and so they're uh, a, what's the what's the the PC term now? Budget. They're budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not the materials, just the, you know the workmanship. Uh, and that, but we're going to get them actually made, you know, for real in. Um, we don't know where we're, we're, we have a couple factories we're looking at, but uh, we're going to get them made Which, for real. For, so, for, so what you're saying is for real, for real, they're being made in China in some basement by teeny little Chinese elves. Uh, yeah, could possibly be made uh, in India by small Indian elves as well. It's not sure because both both China, I mean, India for many years was kind of the stainless. It really, the, the issue is is that you know I, we can get fairly competitive price on like the high the high tech stuff like the like the insulation and the and the um, and the mesh that we use, but um, stainless fabrication is just com- you're completely priced out of existence in uh, in the US for this kind of a thing and so we're you know that's the kind of stuff that traditionally you would get a lot and like a lot of the barware is made in India but over the past decade or so China has really uh, kind of rocketed forward uh, to challenge and I think they've superseded India in terms of their stainless manufacturing at least in terms of what's imported into the US and the cookware department so it's it's a question of which which one um, you're going to go to but it's just phenomenally, you know, the tooling costs and everything are phenomenally expensive. And since we don't know that we can make enough of them to afford the initial kill on the uh, the initial uh, cost on the tooling for a U.S. operation on that, we just don't know if we can do it. We're looking to hopefully assemble here, though. It's just going to go bonkers. I mean, you're going to put that thing up, and it's just going to exceed anything that I think you ever could have imagined. You know, well, from your lips to God's ears, brother. From your lips to God's ears. But don't worry. You, if you want, look, look. You know. You, Jeremiah, old friend of uh, like old friend of the blog, back in the blog days, uh, you know, at the French Culinary Institute. So, you know, I, I believe I I believe I sculled with with you guys uh, up in the lab at one point. You did, and also uh, if you remember, you were the one that made us test out whether or not agave syrup was indeed uh, did indeed make a difference in uh, margaritas. Um, yeah, I, 
I secretly just wanted to drink margaritas that day. I was a little hungover, and I was like, let me just throw this out there. We'll all be drinking margaritas. It's going to just, you know, it's going to turn this class up a notch. Yeah, that's true. Did I ever tell you that I found out, that I figured out the science behind uh, why they're so different? Um, I believe we were having cocktails uh, during ICC, and um, you, you did um, you did lay that theory on, and uh, I'm going to test it out on my own. I I'm, I'm a big margarita fan. Yeah, well, you, I'll do I'll do my own research, and we'll we'll compare notes. All right. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what I think, just for the benefit of the folks out there. The uh, agave is extremely high in fructose. And uh, fructose is interesting as opposed to sucrose in that its sweetness hits you right away and then leaves very quickly. Uh, so um, what, if you use agave, uh, you're using something that's very high in fructose. So when you drink the margarita, you get a real uh, hit of sweet right away, but it doesn't linger, whereas the lime lingers. So you're not left with a cloying sweetness. You're left with this kind of lingering lime flavor in the margarita. There's still some backbone of sucrose there from the uh, Cointreau, but like the initial kapow hit of the uh, of the sugar that you've added is in a fructose form, which uh, seems – well, we thought seemed to work well in uh, the margaritas back in the day. That's my theory. Welcome to it. All right. All right. Well, well you're on the list. We'll, a, we'll be telling you when you get it. Can you just put an order in? Can you just put an order in for margarita pizza and um, after the show just eat that for me so I feel like I'm part of the crew? Uh, we, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to do a food and wine shoot, but next week I will, I will, you will be an, an official in absentia uh, crew member here, and we will order a margarita pizza. I'll pound it for you. Thank you, sir. All, All right, brother. The hammer. Bye. Take care, guys. Thank you. All right, cool. Talk to you soon. All right, now. What are we talking about? I don't know. Who the hell knows what I'm talking about? Alex wrote in uh, last week about Friars, and I gave a long spiel about how uh, you know they might void the the insurance in your house, and that they they could have safety issues, and go and apparently, uh, I mean, I don't, frankly, I'm frightened myself. <laughs> you convinced yourself, yeah. I mean, I, I'd already purchased my new deep fryer for my you know my house because, but look, like it's kind of like who I am. It's like you know, like that's you know whatever. Anyway, so here's what he wrote back. Hello, Dave. So last week you answered my email about fryers, and my wife skipped past your comment that a fryer is a good idea for cooking. Shouldn't skip that part. You know what I mean? Uh, And leaped on the burning down the house prospects. Valid point. Your wife has valid point. Uh, So a large deep fryer in the home no longer appears to be a viable option. As I've never seen a countertop deep fryer with recovery times useful for frying, it looks like I'm back to stockpots and Dutch ovens. While the thermal mass of cast iron is appealing, I've seen some sources online that iron will react with the oil, degrading the quality or imparting off flavors. Is there any truth to this? Yes. Also, what is the chemistry uh, beyond oxidation going on in the fry oil that makes it break down and turn? Alex. Okay, look. Uh, before I before I get into it, let me uh, let me just say, uh, I, I looked around and there is I forget whether or not you said you lived in an apartment or you live in a house, right? Because what, one of the things I've always maintained is that if you live in a house with an outdoor space, like that's where you should put your fryer, right? And there is a company uh, from Homer, Louisiana. These guys are crazy. They're crazy. They're called R and V, R and V, like RV, like recreational vehicle, but not recreational vehicle, like R and ampersand V works uh, in Homer, Louisiana. Their website is CajunFryer.com. So you already know it's going to be good. The website, website like Cajun Fryer, how could that be bad? And uh, these guys sell, it's intended for home, right? Which means it's not going to void your, your homeowner's warranty because it's intended for home. A real, honest to God, uh, 
outdoor, so it's got a cover on it, a propane-fired tube uh, a deep fryer with a cold zone. It's freaking nuts. It's awesome. It's not even that expensive compared to other commercial stuff, and it's meant for home. So you're good to go. You just have to fire it up, not inside. It's not meant to go inside. These guys also have some insane uh, grills. They also make a like, crazy pressure smoker that looks like a giant autoclave and uses like burbling percolated water. I don't think the pressure is that high. I, I couldn't figure out from their documentation because they don't tell you how high the pressure is. Uh, how high it is, and I, I could have calculated if I knew exactly the height of the water that they're pushing through to generate the pressure, but I couldn't. Hey, whatever, I couldn't do it. But those guys are genuine uh, nut jobs making those fryers, and so I, w- I would go to them. Another thing I should tell you is that um, I also forget whether or not you said that y- you're good with building things or not. Do you remember? I don't no. remember stuff. I don't remember. Um, what you can do is um, what you can do is. Build your own fryer, and I, I've done this. So, what you here's some here's some basic basic math for you. My fryer, uh, or the one I, I just threw it out, but the fryer that I had and the fryer that I'm going to get um, has uh, approximately ninety thousand BTUs for about um, five gallons of oil, about 35, 40 pounds of oil. Uh, and what that means is you're looking at around eighteen thousand uh, BTUs per uh, gallon. And that equals about 5.2 kilowatts. That is a freaking lot. Out of a, and you know, as you rightly say, home fryers they don't have really the ability to heat that much because you're looking at roughly 1,500 watts max, 1.5 kilowatts. If you have a 220 circuit, then you can uh, you could probably boost that to about three kilowatts. Now you're getting close to the amount of power you need to heat a full gallon of oil. So here's what you could do if you're handy: you could buy a temperature controller, buy two, right? You want uh, you don't need PID, you don't want PID. You want what's called a bang bang controller, something that turns the heater on and then turns the heater off when you're done okay strap uh one of the uh strap a control uh bulb or a uh uh, uh thermocouple directly to a heating amp. oh go on uh mcmaster.com and get the longest you're gonna need 220 for this not 110 220 get the longest uh bendable immersion heater that you can get uh, at the highest uh, power that your 220 circuit can deliver, right? Now, you want to bend, you got to get a pot, you want a pot that's tall, fairly tall uh, for, its, uh, for its size, right? And then you're going to put a, uh, a grate, a rack in it. You're going to pr- want to bend uh, like special legs for the rack so that the rack sits fairly high in the pot. Right below that's going to be your cold zone, right? And then uh, you know a couple inches. Give yourself. Then you're going to rest the tube heater, the longest one you can do. You bend it into uh, something that fits into the pan. The lo- reason why you want it long is you want the longest, sur- the biggest surface area possible. If you really have skills, you can put fins on it, but don't worry about it. Bend it up out. You have a thermocouple that measures the oil temperature, and then a safety one strapped onto it to shut the thing off. Um, Make sure it's bang, bang. As soon as the oil the temperature drops, you want it to go on full force. You don't want any PID action because it's going to slow down your recovery rate. Then you can do things like measure before you start frying with it. How – you've got to be careful. If you're, if you're worried about electrocuting yourself, don't do this. I mean this is not safe. This is just something you can do at home. Anyways, uh, I've done it before and you can make a relatively decent uh, deep fryer if you ha- with a cold zone if you have uh, – if you're handy, if you're not worried about things. And, well, of course you are though because if your wife doesn't want you to have deep fry, she probably also doesn't want you to, to be bending tubular immersion heaters and uh, and hooking them up on your stuff. But whatever. It's a good project. Stas is, Stas is shaking her head and saying that I'm a jerk. Okay. Uh, back on to uh, the pots. Um, 
if you have dings in the enamel, you're going to have some iron. Iron is reactive. It's not nearly as bad as copper. Copper is like the ultimate enemy. I mean if you think about it, what happens uh, – old commercial deep fryers were uh, regular steel and not stainless. And you would get a layer of polymerized oil on the steel that would just never go away and then that would um, – that would kind of protect it from further degradation, but in general, you're going to want to go stainless. Enamel should work fine. Uh, you, you don't really care about how much heat it's going to build up because you're using the thermal mass of the oil. You're not really storing so much energy in the cast iron, so I wouldn't worry about that um, too much. So I would also recommend going online. It's a little bit outdated and getting a PDF copy of the Egan Press, which is put out by the American Association of Serial Chemists. Uh, fats and oils books. It's extremely readable, and they have a whole section on uh, deep frying. So, uh, you know, basically from them, what's going on is uh, hydrolysis in the fat oil. So, water is coming out of the fat oil, and the water, especially at those high temperatures, is uh, is causing breakdown of the fat into free fatty acids. Uh, you know, which are you know then cause oil breakdown. Uh, and so, you know, hydrolysis from water is one of your enemies. Oxidation uh, is one of your uh, enemies, and this stuff's accelerated at higher. T- all this stuff's ex- accelerated at higher temperature. Polymerization of the oil molecules is another uh, enemy, and then also as you fry more, especially at higher temperatures on a pan, you're going to have food particles falling to uh, in a pot. Rather, you're going to have food particles falling to the bottom. Since you are supplying the heat from the bottom, the hottest part of the oil is exactly where you don't want it to be, where all the settled crap is, and so. Uh, Typically what happens is is you'll get very fast oil breakdown. You also – because you don't have a high enough power to uh, recover fast enough your oil, you're going to be constantly overheating it. And the, the, even minimal overheating of oil is incredibly bad for, um, for the life and the taste of the oil that you're using for frying. Uh, so you know, th- that's just kind of a, a general range of kind of what's going on and how you're getting uh, shafted. Uh, like I said, best like, again. Stas, please. Like I said, uh, the best way around, uh, you know, the best way to help yourself, even in a home frying situation, is to go to a commercial supplier, go to someone who supplies restaurants, and get commercial grade frying oil, where they've added uh, they've added antioxidants to it. They've removed um, the fatty acid components that are the most likely to degrade quickly, and they also um, they sometimes add anti-foaming agents, which also prevent the oil from breaking down. And so though that professional fry oil is so much better than the, st- than the stuff you can get at the supermarket that, uh, that, that Stas and I have considered actually just buying a bunch of it and selling it to people like, like we know what we're doing because it's so much better. Uh, you have to buy it in uh, five-gallon increments. So if you're using it you know, relatively quickly, store it away from light, uh, it shouldn't be a problem. They come in plastic cube – they come in like square cardboard. Everyone's seen these They're on the street. When you pass a, a, like, a, like a fry joint you know, like a, or you know, whatever, a place that uses a lot of fryers, you'll see them on the, on the curb there. They're those, those cardboard cubes with the, with the plastic cube tainer in the middle of them. And uh, that stuff's just fantastic. So if you get a hold of that, you're gonna, your fry game's going to go up uh, immensely uh, right away. What do you think, Stas? Yeah. Stas like, I don't care. I don't care. But, uh, <laughs> but two more babies. She, she just said, oh, Stas is thinking about the breastfeeding. <laughs> and, and people, I want you to know, this lady has a scarf over the baby's face. So Nastasha needs to step back. <laughs> but uh, the uh, – the, uh, 
So uh, today, by the way, I'll just say this as we're going out. Today we uh, we're going to go to the food and wine, and we're doing a Thanksgiving shoot with the Sears All right. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some sort of fancy tech. Uh, I won't. I guess I'm not supposed to spoil it, right? I don't but it's a similar that. technique to the one that I did back in the day for the uh, hamburger with the exploding ketchup in the middle. Remember that with the shot yeah. where it's like gabloosh mm-hmm. uh, for Eater way back in the day. But I'll give a little bit of a secret. What we did is we made Parker House rolls. That are filled with stuffing, so it's just a thin layer of Parker House roll with stuffing on the inside. Those are pretty good, right, Sas? Yeah, they were really good. They were good. And remember, oh, did we get another Thanksgiving question? I didn't get, oh, I looked the up one, the turkey. The one that Piper gave you last night. The, yeah. So we had a question last week about using hydrogen peroxide H two O two to disinfect a turkey that was being cooked at low temperature. From uh, it was uh, based on a blog post by uh, Simon Quellen Field, and uh, I looked it up, and the guy coats his entire turkey with bacon. Bacon, by the way. Entire freaking turkey is like a, is like a, you know like a pie is like a lattice. Yep. This is like a lattice of bacon, oh. uh, and it's extremely low temp. He put in the H two O two. I was not able to find uh, find any references to whether or not that would affect the flavor of the meat in any way. It's used in water, uh, and it, presumably it'll all you know it'll react and you won't get it. But I don't know whether the uh, like the extreme oxidation reactions are going to do anything to the flavor of the skin or anything I wasn't able to find any references and since I don't have a kitchen I wasn't able to just soak a piece of chicken or something in H2O2 and then cook it off and see whether there's any residual effects but rest assured we will try this uh at uh at some point I feel like we got one more question in stuff so we have we have, no, we have a couple seconds no, wait up oh. We have one in from at Raider Nicole that was the one cooking issues how do you prevent warmed over flavors and reheated chicken uh, and then it just says marinade, baked, or pan-fried as questions. Uh, what you do is is store store the product uh, away from oxygen. It's uh, it's oxidation, uh, it's oxidative rancidity that's causing the warmed-over flavor. So you can reheat uh, gently in uh, in zippies, ziplocs that you uh, have gotten all the oxygen out of, uh, and then just hit it with high heat to crisp off or do do whatever you want. But you're, you, the enemy there is storing it. Allowing it to cool and rest uh, in um, in uh, contact with uh, oxygen in the air, and remember to get your Thanksgiving questions in because next week is last cooking issues before Thanksgiving. Cooking issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.